morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. This two-edged sword of law and gospel recorded for you in Holy Scripture all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, June 30th, we are studying Acts chapter 26, verses 1 to 32. Paul makes his defense before Agrippa and Festus, and as is his custom, he takes the opportunity to give witness to the resurrection of Jesus. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor A.J. Espinoza. Pastor Espinoza serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. Pastor Espinoza, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good to be back, Pastor Apple. And uh, yeah, it's uh, a text that's, I mean, it's really, I mean, it's just an engaging and really interesting story. It's, um, you know, I mean, there's this this drama of, you know, what's going to happen to Paul and, you know, um, and he's got a very powerful speech in the midst of it. But uh, I got to say, as a guy who really focuses on the the linguistics um, and Greek side of things, these these texts and acts are very humbling just because of how much history and uh, all the political nuances are involved. And it's just it's just really easy to get totally the wrong idea because it's just uh, so alien to us. All right, so we're in Acts 26. Agrippa is the one to whom Paul is speaking. Festus is still there. We met these two in the previous text. Remind us a little bit of that context with Paul under arrest and giving testimony here again before Festus and Agrippa. What are some of those important details we need to see? Yeah, so one thing to consider is that there there, there was no prison system at the time. People weren't really locked up as punishment. It was more that you were imprisoned because they didn't know what to do with you and they were still deciding, you know, so it's, it's, it's more like jail. Um, and so, you know, like Paul here, he's, he's, uh, he's under their custody because they just kind of, you know, keep shipping him around trying to figure out, okay, like, so what's, what do we do in the end? Are we going to release him? Are we going to punish him? Um, so, so that, that is, the situation that they're, they're kind of, it's a little bit of like, you know, hot potato, uh, with, with Paul. And, um, you know, so, so before, uh, the Roman authority Festus, um, you know, had uh, been trying to figure out what to make of it, but we see at the end of 25, um, when he gives his summary to, uh, King Herod Agrippa, you know, so it's like, oh my gosh, like which, which King Herod, you know, so, you, you know, you had, you had Herod the Great, um, you know, who, you know, had like the full uh, kingdom and that would have been the, the Herod, um, you know, around the time of uh, the Lord's birth. Um, and then, you know, there was, there was his son, um, Herod you know, Archelaus, um, so different Herod. <laughs> um, and then, and then later there was, you know, um, Herod, uh, you know, Antipas, right, who was uh, the one who would have been in charge of Galilee, uh, who would have tried uh, the Lord Jesus in connection uh, or in conjunction with Pilate. And so now this is yet a different uh, Herod. So uh, th- this this is the one who, um, you know, after the other guys, he's, he's kind of um, in control, actually, 
of, of most of the kingdom of what would have been his, uh, if I'm getting all my Herod straight, his grandfather, Herod the Great. And so Festus has, has come to him because uh, for the first time in a long time, uh, you've actually got uh, a seemingly kind of like Jewish king who is like kind of actually pretty Jewish. Like he <laughs> seems to actually care and get these sorts of religious matters because Festus is just like, I have no idea what they're all arguing about. It sounds like some kind of crazy, you know, like religious debate. I don't know what to make of this. Like you figure out <laughs> like if he's violated some, you know, important religious law. Um, and, and so that's, that's the situation here. Like they're just trying, he's just trying to figure out like, okay, I don't like, do, do I release this guy? Do I, what do I do with him? Right, right. The the fact that Paul has appealed to Caesar will influence Festus not to release Paul, as we will see, and, and really already has. Interestingly, Festus did recognize in the previous chapter that there's a dispute going on between Paul and the, the opposition about whether or not Jesus is alive or not. Hmm. Paul is asserting Jesus is alive, and the others are asserting that he's not. It is interesting that Festus is able to pick that central point out. But as you said, not having the background in Judaism that Agrippa will, he Festus doesn't quite have the full handle on the situation. Agrippa is there. Festus has invited Agrippa to hear the case. And now Agrippa is going to give Paul the opportunity. Paul is going to do most of the speaking in our text. Most of what we got today is Paul speaking to Agrippa, but everybody is going to listen. One of the, the commentaries I looked at suggested that what we're seeing here is, is Paul is taking this you know, royal court area and he's turning it into a church. That that what <laughs> was this, you know, the, all this pomp and circumstance that you saw in the previous chapter, Paul looks lowly in the midst of it. But here is, is Paul who's going to preach the gospel into this royal court. So let's let's read. Let's yeah. see what Paul has to say here in Acts chapter 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here, testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. That is Paul's speech before Agrippa that takes us through verse 23 of our text. So Pastor Espinoza, a lot here. We've heard Paul go through some of this history before. There is some new material that he adds, probably for the purposes of which he's testifying here to Agrippa. Take us just into the introduction, verses 2 and 3. This sounds like a, the way that you would start a speech before a king. What do we need to, to see in the way Paul opens his speech? Yeah, um, I, I suppose even before that, like a, a nuance that's that's in the Greek um, is that Agrippa, uh, the, the word of speaking and, and what he says, like you have permission to speak for yourself, um, it, it implies some kind of uh, deliberation on Agrippa's part. Like he's heard everything that Festus had to say, and he's like, "Well, that being the case, you know, I, you know, as as the king." like it's been granted to you uh, permission to speak for yourself. So, uh, I mean, you, you kind of have from the outset that Agrippa is uh, uh, to a certain extent kind of being pretty reasonable um, and uh, maybe even like charitable towards Paul. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that Paul is a little bit um, actually grateful for that. I mean, like in, in his language there where he's like, I consider myself fortunate. I mean, he's, he really has some legitimate reasons for uh, considering himself fortunate. Uh, but like when it says like he like stretched out his hand, that would seem to be in kind of like a bowing gesture of some kind. Um, so, I, I mean, like he is, he is grateful that he is getting um, in some ways the opportunity to actually be able to speak for himself because like in the previous chapter he, he was he was saying pretty pessimistic like okay yeah but if you if you hand me over to you know the people in jerusalem like we know how that goes you know christians being tried in jerusalem um so so i think he is actually um kind of grateful here um and, and he is uh, uh i mean kind of like showing a certain kind of respect for that. And I think that, you know, despite, you know, this being another Herod, um, there, there's a lot of good things you have going for Agrippa. Um, you know, he, he seems to be someone who, uh, he like tried for, for, for lack of a, a, a better word. Um, you know, like when the emperor wanted to try to erect a statue of himself in the temple, he, he objected to that and tried to not have it be defiled. And, you know, he tried to observe, um, the Mosaic law. And when he minted a coin, which was very typical when you became king to uh, mint uh, a new kind of coin commemorating your 
um, you know, as, uh, Ascension, your uh, inauguration. Uh, he didn't have any images of uh, himself or of anything else. So he was like trying to, you know, the, 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 the part of the commandments about that. So, I mean, like, he's like, he, he really is like trying to be like a good, you know, like, you know, King, King of the Jews, um, you know, King of his, his people. Um, but, and, and Paul's, I, I think kind of, yeah, try, trying to play that up um, in a, in a, not in a, not in a manipulative way, but in a respectful one. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. Not ma- ma- not manipulative, but respectful and and truly grateful for the audience that he has here with Agrippa, one who will be more familiar with the situation that is at hand and the background to it, some of the the controversies that do exist within Judaism within the parties of Judaism. Agrippa is going to be able to see that from a more of an insider perspective, certainly more of an insider perspective than someone like Festus. And so, I, yeah, Paul is is definitely grateful to have Agrippa listening to him at this point. Yeah, yeah, I, I, th- I think so. And I think, um, I, I guess the two things like in his introduction, um, which I think are pretty important, but um, are pretty difficult, uh, I think, for for us and it needs to be misunderstood. Um, it's when, when Paul is talking about, you know, the accusations of the Jews. Um, and then when he talks about, you know, the party of our religion, you know, namely being a Pharisee, right? So uh, the, these two things uh, talking about, you know, the religious parties and, um, you know, accusations of the Jews, I, I think, I think our minds tend to see this in a, a little bit of a nationalistic sense, like, you, you know, like you've got like, you know, like, well, the, the, the Jewish people and then like within the Jewish people, there's like different, you know, uh, groups, like there's kind of like nesting dolls or something like that, um, where I, I think that it's it's a little, little bit different from that. And you don't want to start going down that road because, uh, well, I mean, that, that's historically happened um, uh, with some pretty bad effects when you start going and saying, oh, look, the Jews were doing this and the Jews were doing that. Um, you know, the Jews are just, you know, so, so bad and they've done some terrible things. Like that's kind of the, the logic that's been followed, but that's, I don't think that that's what Paul is getting at. He is obviously himself, you know, Jewish, you would say in a sense, um, you know, he's definitely uh, a Hebrew and he's talking to one <laughs> King Agrippa, so uh, that's not what he's trying to say. Um, uh, yeah, and, and it's 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 it can be pr- pro- yeah pretty problematic if we start going down that road. Well, yeah, I think Paul's Paul's point is: listen, Agrippa, you know this is what we believe rightly as Jews. This is this is what we've believed according to the Old Testament. By the end of his his speech, he's going to say, "Look, I'm just proclaiming." The same thing that the prophets and Moses have always proclaimed, particularly it's been fulfilled in Christ. But I, I think the point that he's making is saying, yes, I'm I am with you, and I'm being somehow persecuted, and I'm standing here arrested, really because I've been preaching what we've always believed this this hope that's ours in the resurrection. And I I did so in fact as one of the most zealous of us. You know, I think I think he's he's really trying to include himself with them and saying. I'm, I'm, this is the true continuation of what we've believed. What I'm preaching, Paul says, is the true continuation of what we've always believed. And you, Agrippa, should recognize this. 
I, yeah, I think that's spot on. Um, I think that he, he's, you know, his mention um, of, you know, in, in using the word Jews, I, I, I think it is in that way of saying, hey, and you know, you being, <laughs> you know, a king or king, um, like you should not be okay with this situation you know i mean like you you know that this is, is this isn't right um i mean this and this is the venue for it um what when he's when he says that you know he's making his his uh, defense you know against all the accusations of of the jews i mean like what what he really is saying there um like in, in the greek i would translate it maybe something along the lines of like um you know everything you know um about which you know, he stands accused under Jewish jurisdiction or something like that. Um, he, he's referring to uh, not like, you know, the activity or, or the event of, you know, Jews accusing him, but that he has this kind of, um, you know, kind of tainted status, like an almost criminal status with respect to, um, like the, the laws, customs, traditions, and sensibilities of being Hebrew, Jewish. Um, so in that sense, he's like saying like, hey, like, you know, like here, here I am being, being uh, kind of treated and thought of as someone who's disrespecting tradition and our custom and, and our, uh, you know, our religion, our faith and, and this. But as you were saying, but that's just that's just that doesn't make sense. It does, it's not right. I've, I've you know, and, and and that's I think one of the most. It's probably the central point of everything he says. Like he, he's just not saying anything different from what Moses and the prophets have said all along, and that's the ground um, for Agrippa. You know, in, in the best case scenario, exonerating him. Right, right. So it, at the beginning of his his speech, the first thing he gets to after his introduction is his way of life from youth. So prior to his conversion of Christianity, how he was raised, and he, he mentions particularly that he, you said this, the strictest party of our religion, he was a Pharisee. Yeah. But in this, you know, he brings up again the matter of of resurrection and this promise, which he, he attributes not just to the to the Pharisees, but this again is the hope of all of Israel to the, he even mentions the 12 tribes, yeah. which is I think pretty striking language given the, given the situation there in Israel, you know, you've got the 10 tribes of the North that yep. it, in some respects are lost. And yet Paul is, is talking about the 12 tribes here. Again, he, as he talks about this hope of the resurrection that he's preaching, he really attaches himself to all Israel. This is the continuation of what was always believed. Yeah, no, it's right. I, I mean, and I think that, um, yeah, and that's really good to point out in verse seven, where he says, you know, our, our 12 tribes. So so he's not, you know, trying to say, well, look, I'm like a, a Pharisee person. And so all the kind of non-Pharisees are, you know, accusing me or have a problem with me. Um, it, it's it's much more uh, pluralistic than that. Like when, when he says, um, you know, the translation there, you know, according to the strictest party of our religion, I mean, like, I don't. I don't think ancient people had really even a sense of religion like we do, you know, like we kind of think of religion as sort of like either like an institution um, that you can kind of be a member of or kind of like an official set of doctrines that you can like subscribe to. Um, And that's just not really strictly speaking what he means. Um, It's sort of, um, 
you know, if I had to like try to give a little bit of a, a like a translation of this part, it's, you know, he's kind of trying to say like, you know, um, he had uh, or was a part of the most rigorous form of piety practiced among us. Right. So, so it's like, it's not really as if he's saying that he's like some kind of only this particular faction or something like that, but it's closer to honestly someone today saying that they're, you know, like an environmentalist or a, a tech geek or that they're a gamer or that they're old school or they're a foodie. Right. I mean, th- these are kind of very overlapping kinds of descriptions that, that are kind of like on a spectrum and, you know, you, you kind of say, well, kind of, you know, maybe everyone's that like to a certain extent these days, right. You know, with regard to any one of those things. So he, he's, he's trying to say not that like, you know, like, you know, he's kind of this and everyone else is, is not, but just, you know, um, that, that he kind of, you know, has been trying to live, you know, with his utmost ability. Um, you know, you know, I mean, kind of in a way almost, this is sort of like somebody today, you know, uh, yeah, I'm just thinking about the, the trials that are, you know, happening in our case. Someone kind of saying like, hey, look, I, I've been super patriotic all my life. You know, I've been really, I'm a, I've been a patriot like my whole life. And that's not saying, you know, I'm, I'm only a, this kind of faction, but rather it's kind of the opposite saying like, I really consider myself tied to all of us. And I kind of, you know, hold dearly in the most kind of devout way, the the things that all of us have in common. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And then in that light, verse eight is a is almost a bit of a a, a cry of exasperation. I, I can't believe that that people are are believing it incredible that God raises the dead. I mean, we've we've always believed this. Yeah. Why are we? Why am I on trial for this? And so, I mean, certainly in the context of King Agrippa. Who should recognize the centrality of this? But I even I even think it in verse eight there maybe even a little bit to those who are in the audience there who are who are pagans that there's even a bit of a call to them as well. Why why would you think it impossible that God raises the dead if he's if he's really God? I mean that that almost strikes me as a uh, that it's appealing both to the Jews in his audience Agrippa, but also to the the pagans as well. An opportunity for them to hear you know think about this. Is it really that incredible that God would raise the dead? I, I think there's a little bit of both going on. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, no, I think so. And I think that, I mean, this really mirrors, um, you know, what Paul says elsewhere, like in his letters, um, like in like First Corinthians, where, I mean, he, he's trying to connect it because that's a, it's a categorical um, generalization there that he makes. Um, if you like look at the, the way that the, the tense and aspect work in, in the Greek, it, it's this idea that, you know, this is a truth about God. You know, you could you could almost translate it as like you know that we have a uh, from the dead raising God, right? Like this is the kind of God we have, and and so um, the, the connection and the move um, is to say like, well, you know, if you, if you're going to go and and try to say like, absolutely not, it's impossible that Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, to say that is to say that you're saying that God can't do that then, you know, and, and that there just is no resurrection. And I mean, that's, that's the way he argues in his letters. Like, yeah, well, you know, if, if Christ hasn't been raised and there just is no resurrection at all for any of us. Um, and that's a huge problem. And, and so, um, you know, he, he's, he's, he's making, he's making the move, you know, like that, 
you know, if you're going to go and not even be open-minded at all to the possibility that this maybe happened, it's because you really don't believe that there is any resurrection then, um, which I think is not like, again, I don't think it's actually manipulative or tricky. Like he's, this is like some kind of like, you know, Aristotle, Socrates kind of, you know, logic move. But I think he's getting to the heart of it. <laughs> like, like you guys are, you, you talk a big game about like, you know, like the spirituality and, and, you know, and God, you know, uh, you know, like having, you know, uh, th this hope of this resurrection for our people and this, but if, if you have zero open-mindedness towards this gospel proclamation, uh, do you really believe what you say that you believe? Mm -hmm. Well, and this is where I, I just love Paul's approach here, because on the one hand, as he speaks in this way, he does make defense of himself. And he does show that what he's doing is legal, both from a certainly from a, a Roman perspective and also from a Jewish perspective. But but that's really not his ultimate aim. Right. It's not just the defense of himself, but proclaiming the gospel and the way that he weaves those two together so seamlessly. And, and again, for the the ultimate purpose of the proclamation of the gospel is just remarkable to me. I, I love to watch this. Yeah, it, it is. And I think it's important for us to, I, I, I really like the point you just made. It's important for us to understand what he is trying to do, uh, you know, be, because he, he, he made a point about this in the previous chapter. Um, you know, it was like chapter 25, verse um, 11, you know, um, where he says, you know, uh, you know, I do not seek to escape death. And, and he says that he makes that point like in several places um, in his letters and in acts, but his goal, the whole point is not, you know, his, his religious liberty has been violated and he wants to stand up for his rights. It, it's not that um, even, even the verb that's used, um, uh, which, which he uses where he says, you know, he make a defense um, in ver back in verse two. Um, I mean, really the, the verb means to sort of knock down or uh, dismiss or defeat you know, false accusations. So, so the point is, I mean, not really so much to get like to, to free himself or, or to, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know, restore his liberty or something like that, but, but, but really to uh, kind of like, scrape the mud off of the name of Jesus. I, I mean, to, to just, to deal with like the falsehoods and expose those for what they are, um, you know, as he, as he uses uh, in his gospels, you know, the, the idea of bringing them into the light, uh, th that's, that's the goal. Um, you know, this kind of giving an answer or making a defense. It, it's not really about um, his own situation and standing per se. Right. He is giving testimony to Jesus Christ, as he has done all along, and he will continue to do. We're going to take a short break here on Sharper Iron. You're listening to to us talk about Acts 26 this morning here on KFU. i got Pastor A.J. Espinoza as our guest. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, June 30th. We're studying Acts chapter 26, verses 1 to 32 with Pastor A.J. Espinoza. He serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. Pastor Espinoza, prior to the break, we left off in Paul's speech as he continues to recount his history. He's talked about how he has believed and always believed and been raised in the resurrection of the dead. That is the hope that they have. He continues by speaking about how at one time he persecuted Christianity in verses 9 through 11. Again, we've we've seen this from Paul. We've heard him talk about it before. What are some of the particular points he brings out in front of Agrippa that we need to, to see? Well, I, I think that, you know, after uh, you, you're kind of uh, bringing this out in verse 8, you know, that, um, you know, Oh, hang on, why, why, why do you guys think that this is just categorically impossible, right? I mean, shouldn't you be be open-minded to this? So, I mean, he's you know kind of implicitly saying that they're not being reasonable, that they're being extreme. Um, and, and then actually, I think he makes the move then in verse nine, where he's like, well, you know what? I was actually a bit of an extremist myself, uh, before. Um, and I, and I think that's what he brings out in his story that it's, it's not even like he just didn't believe, you know, in, in Jesus of Nazareth um, or, you know, Jesus, the you know, the Nazarene, I think is a little bit closer to like what the Greek sense is. Um, it, it's that he just, I mean, he was like overzealous, you know, it says like, you know, I not only locked up uh, many of the saints in prison, uh, but, you know, I would like go around to like all the synagogue meetings and like, you know, add an extra vote like against them, you know, like this is a, I, I don't know, like you, you think of uh, there, there've been some like, you know, movies uh, or stories told about this where there's like some, uh, I mean, in, in, in America where there's people who are kind of uh, activists and they will actually travel around and try to get on the jury <laughs> um, for different cases Um which, you know, can be kind of problematic and uh, legally in some cases, but they're trying to because they want to go and then influence the juries uh, to like go a certain way because they're trying to like, you know, actually kind of influence, you know, law uh, from this particular angle. Right. So it's like this it, is very extreme here that like most people, you know, who are just trying to be, you know, patriotic or zealous or devout or pious, like it's an extreme that they would not go to, you know, and he says in 11, you know, he's, he's, you know, trying to make them blaspheme, right? He's like trying to like, you know, trip them up in their words to like get them to get convicted of something stronger than they would have been otherwise. So just everything in his description is just, yeah, I used to be overboard myself. Um, So it's an, it's an interesting move where he shows some sympathy and um, where, I think in that respect, he, he's trying to to kind of, in this sympathetic way, bring them around and say, "Yeah, I I snapped out of this this kind of extreme posture I had taken," um, and inviting them to make a similar move. Right. Well, and, and not not 
not so much that he snapped out of it, but that Jesus came and snapped him out of it. That's that's where Paul takes us next. In verses 12 and following, he recounts his conversion, which Luke recorded for us in chapter 9. Paul has recounted this before. In chapter 22, he, he recounted his conversion. And, and here again, before Agrippa, he does so once again. What are some of the, the features that Paul brings out here that maybe we don't see in Acts 9 or in Acts 22? Well, um, you know, I think the thing that maybe stands out um, for more people more readily is is the bit in the quote, um, you know, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. You know, he doesn't, you know, he hasn't mentioned that part in his other retellings of it. Um, and, and I, and I wonder, you know, I mean, he says there, you know, he heard a voice saying, um, you know, in, in the Hebrew language. So that's to say like in Aramaic is the thought that, you know, most people would have. Um, yeah. I wonder if this is sort of an Aramaic, um, you know, maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's possible that he could have just actually said that in Aramaic or that it's an Aramaic um, saying or idiom or something like that, that his uh, maybe, you know, the, the kind of Jewish audience would kind of like hear that and be like, oh, yeah, you, you know, you know, kind of you know, when you kind of use something that like they get and maybe Festus is like, what's that mean? Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, it, it would seem to have something to do with being stubborn you know, like a, like being a stubborn animal or something like that, which, I mean, it does fit, of course, um, his other tellings of the story, the idea that, you know, he's, he's God's chosen instrument who has to, uh, you know, suffer, um, for the sake of, you know, his, his name. So, you know, this kind of idea that, um, you know, he's, He's he's like he's he is the he, the instrument of of Jesus, but he's just been a very bad one <laughs> so far. And it's like you know, Paul. It's like you know, you're you're going to end up doing this for me, but um, it, it's just going to be more painful for you if you keep going about it like this. So I mean, it, it's not. I feel like that, it's just an example of a detail that I, I don't think it's like you know substantively di- different, um, but it, it might just kind of be kind of shaped a little bit um, to kind of bring some stuff out that the people he's talking to would appreciate. Sure. And I think as, as he continues, and, and in, in most red-letter Bibles, you're going to see several sentences in a row here in red, words from Jesus to Paul. Some of the things that Jesus tells Paul here, particularly the way that Jesus speaks about the to whom Paul is send or Jesus is sending Paul to your people and to the Gentiles both, but this this language of turning from darkness to light, turning from the power of Satan to God, so that they would receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's what happens for Paul at that moment of his conversion. And again, that that seems to be what Paul's up to right here in front of Agrippa is is doing these very things that Jesus sent him to do. Yeah, that, that's right. And um, I really like too, just how so much of his language just, it, it, it's just such in lockstep with the, the gospels themselves. I mean, this, this language of, you know, opening their eyes, turning from darkness to light, that sounds so much, of course, like particularly John, um, you know, everything and, you know, uh, the gospel of John is very much like darkness and light, but of course the themes there throughout, um, you know, uh, Luke, I think maybe a little bit more pronounced there as well. Um, but, you know, earlier what he said too about, um, you know, just, I mean, it, it is a very interesting and, and bold claim, 
you know, that, uh, that, you know, Moses in the, in the prophets themselves said that the Messiah, um, would suffer and, uh, you know, would, would, uh, be the first, I mean, actually we're, we're, get, we're getting to that part, um, and, uh, rise from the dead. I mean, th- that is what the gospels come out and say, especially, you know, Luke, um, you know, at, at the end, but I mean, all of them that, you know, Jesus himself went around like t- telling his disciples that that's what, that's what the old Testament means, which was not particularly obvious <laughs> to many people at the time, but it is the perspective that you get, um, you know, in, in, in the gospel. So, I mean, it is, I think, very noteworthy that, you know, th- these words are placed on the lips of Jesus, but that's not surprising because the gospel writers themselves put these ideas on the lips of Jesus in their own ways. Sure. Right. So we, we really shouldn't be surprised by this, I suppose, that Jesus speaks the same way in the gospels as he does to Paul. That That really shouldn't surprise us. Yeah, you know, and it's. Uh, I, I think it's. I think it's really cool that. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, clearly, you know, uh, you know, people have brought this out. Um, you know, in kind of like from a kind of like a, a, a critical perspective that you know, it, it, it's not as if these are direct quotes or like court transcripts or like you know tape recordings or something like that. I mean, of course not. They didn't have. They just didn't document things like that. So this is this is meant to be. You know, Luke trying to do a faithful representation or summary of what Paul said, you know, and and Luke um, being such a close associate of Paul is in a good position to do that Um, to to I I mean, really, I mean, uh, he he could have, I think, like been asked by Paul to to write something on his behalf and he he could have done it, you know, Um, but but it's uh, so so you have Luke, you know doing this and it's it's just evident all over the place that luke is doing a darn good job (laughs) like he's he's not just making something up and it's like oh but you know jesus didn't really talk like that or like the gospel writers you know they they didn't really you know that wasn't their perspective like no like they they really all were on the same page here um even without the benefit of you know like uh, tape recordings or you know transcripts or any of this yeah, yeah. I mean, we should we should understand that the gospel writers recorded, and Luke too, in the book of Acts, recorded the words of Jesus accurately. And so, when there are similarities in the way Jesus speaks, we should we should expect that. So, and and again, we do we do see that that Jesus is speaking the same way throughout the gospels into the book of Acts, into or to Paul here. Paul continues his account, bringing it to a close here before King Agrippa, saying. I, I wasn't disobedient. I did what the Lord gave me to do. I did it in Damascus, Jerusalem. And that's why I'm here before you, King Agrippa. That's why I've been arrested. But again, to kind of bring it home, I this Paul says, I've been proclaiming what the prophets and Moses always said. And this is where he really hammers home his evangelistic purpose in verse 23, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim both light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Uh, take us into the conclusion of, of Paul's speech before Agrippa, and then we'll pick up the rest of the text, the reactions that he's got. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I, I mean, he's, he's, he's had to come out and say this eventually, um, you know, b- before in the first part, you know, he was kind of saying it, you know, indirectly in like in verse six, you know, um, he, he's standing here on trial uh, because of, 
it says, you know, like, my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, you know, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain, you know, he's, you know, he's been saying that, you know, he, he's really just, you know, zealous, patriotic, you know, very de- devout to the thing that they kind of all have in common. Um, but of course, his his opponents, uh, you know, namely the uh, the the especially like the Judean authorities, the the uh, you know what we would call like the, the religious authorities who have been taking issue with him, you know, the the experts in biblical interpretation, right? Uh, the, the 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 Bible scholars of his day are like uh, that's not what the Old Testament says, <laughs> you know, like um, no, that's not how you're supposed to interpret those passages. Um, so that 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 really is the thing that he's coming out and saying, like, no, but, but this really is actually the right way to read the Old Testament. Um, you know, so so th- th- this is the point because I mean, if he if he's if he's right, of course. Um, that this is really how you're supposed to read this, then, you know, wow, the, the reaction, the response, it's like, it's, it's really just, it's not only extreme, but it's just, it's closed minded to, to the point of uh, just ignoring the Bible altogether, you know? Um, and there's definitely something to be repenting of. Um, but, but this, but this is the, the, the sticking point because, uh, from from the perspective of, I mean, really, just kind of natural humankind, this is not what the Old Testament says. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, it really is. Um, it's it's what's been brought out by you know the Holy Spirit and the work of of Jesus Christ that there's there was this um, this kind of deeper meaning that natural humanity did not want to see, but that's what's been brought to light. Right. Well, and that's what was brought to light for Paul. And again, you know, I mean, the similarity there of verse 23 of this chapter to the way that Jesus taught his disciples prior to his ascension, it's recorded in Luke 24. I mean, it's just remarkable. Again, that similarity. And yet we shouldn't be surprised. Again, the words of Jesus recorded by Luke in 24, they should match up with what Paul's going to preach because he's talked to Jesus too here. So that same thing, Paul, Paul concludes his speech. He recounts his history, how the Lord came to him, what the Lord said to him, now how Paul has preached that, and he's given that summary in verse 23. That's where the Paul's speech ends, and we get some reactions there in this hall. We pick up the text again in verse 24. And as he, Paul, was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were with them, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man has done nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. That's the end of our text for today. That takes us through the end of Acts chapter 26. So 
I don't know, Pastor Espinoza, if in verse 24, if if we're meant to think of that as maybe an interruption, as if Festus has been listening and his eyes have been growing wider and suddenly <laughs> he, wants to, you know, he, he interrupts Paul, maybe Paul would have kept going. It, it does seem Paul comes to a, a good conclusion there. But in either case, Festus's reaction is to say, Paul, you're nuts. You're crazy. Why, why this reaction from Festus, do you think? Oh yeah, well, I, I mean, because he he just brought up the sticking point, not just for his uh, Hebrew audience, but for the like, I mean, the entire world. Um, I mean, because that that was the thing. I mean, that that Hebrews and the, the Greeks and the Romans, um, like, kind of all were on the same page about that that the idea that one person would be raised from the dead is is just absurd. I, I mean, like, they, they could kind of get. They could kind of get on board with the idea that you know when a person dies, they can kind of you know join some kind of spirit realm, right? Or that you know maybe kind of at the end of time, you know, kind of all the rules of of you know physics and of the of the natural world would kind of just be upended and suspended, and there might be some kind of great you know reincarnation or rebirth or resurrection, right? At at the very very end. But what they all agreed on was that, you know, that that one guy would come back from the dead now. It just it just didn't make any sense. You know, I I think to them, it was sort of like the idea of saying that, you know, that in one country, gravity stopped working. Like, how does that even make sense that it would just be in that one country that gravity just stops and everyone's just, you know, kind of floating as soon as they cross the border into you know Mexico, but as soon as they come back over here and in, into in, in in Texas or California, like they're back on the ground. Like so, I mean, it's something I think along those lines. And so even even Festus, I think, you know, after he just said, you know, that the the uh, the Messiah is the first to rise from the dead, he's, he's like, whoa, <laughs> okay, even I know <laughs> without even being an expert in you know any of your you know uh, your scriptures that that's nuts. Okay, so Festus says he's Paul. You're nuts. Paul says, no, I'm not. I'm speaking true and rational words. And then he he appeals back to King Agrippa, who's still sitting there, but hasn't said anything. And and he even kind of puts King Agrippa on the spot a little bit. Like, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And and Agrippa's response, what do you what do you make of his response to Paul in, in verse 28? Yeah, I never I'll never forget when I was a vicar, um, one of one of the older members of the congregation I was at. Um, he asked me about that because I, I think it's in the in the King James here, yeah. Because um, because you know I, I think I think a lot of our older uh, brothers and sisters in the faith uh, they, they remember with some fondness the, the way that the King James handled things. And so when something's been changed, they're like, "Hey, what? That was a cool passage, and it's been like taken out of the Bible." Because in the, in the King James, it's um, then Agrippa said unto Paul, "Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian." Um, so the point being like, huh, I'm, I'm, I'm almost there. Like, you know, you've made a good case, right? Um, which, which I feel like probably is remembered fondly because it's encouraging because as many times as we've heard, you know, sermons that we need to go out and tell everybody about Jesus. Um, and we've heard, you know, kind of Bible studies and presentations on, um, you, you know, like what ways, you know, you know, good, like witnessing strategies and, and things like this. Um, you know, the thought that, you know, you're kind of given an example of someone kind of pulling this off <laughs> um, is, you know, a- encouraging. Um, and so I don't, I don't think that's, to- you know, I don't think, I don't think that's like wrong minded, but I, I think it is true of, 
the language that it is more of a question said with a little bit of incredulity because as you said paul is being very aggressive and he's like king rippa do you believe the prophets i know you do you know and and, and like 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 he's trying to like get agrippa to say well yeah yeah paul i i do i do believe the prophets so i guess you're right you, you, you know like and and i think agrippa's reacting to that like okay what so you know like you, you're gonna try to use a little syllogism you know a little bit of like if this then that and boom i'm converted um what what do you think man like <laughs> um so i i think he is also um Re- replying in a, in a kind of incredulity kind of uh, like, like Festus is, is there, which um, I, I mean, like for us then, I, I think it's, I, I think it's not that Paul was unrealistic or, or naive. Like he, like he thought that like, you know, he almost had him. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure that that's, you know, the, the point. Um, and I don't think that we should be like, taking this to mean like i mean i don't know what like if we kind of just kind of trap someone in a in a kind of like logical like puzzle that they're just going to be like oh man i guess shucks i guess you proved me proved me wrong and i'm a christian now um i i think we sh- our brains shouldn't go there um and, and i think i think it's just more kind of uh r- really festus and agrippa not really understanding paul and and they're they're reacting this way because they are still in the darkness and, and they're kind of making a caricature out of what Paul's saying. Yeah. And you do see then Paul's desire in verse 29, he expresses it very clearly that his desire is that people would be like he is, except for the chains he says. But I, I think, <laughs> you know, I, I think the, the point is, yeah, I mean, you know, what Agrippa, you know, I'll take that response for what it's worth, but I do, I do want you to be a Christian just like I am. I, I mean, I think that's, that's his desire. Yeah, no. And I love what he said. I mean, I, I was chuckling because I think he actually does mean that humorously. Um, like, like Paul is responding like, well, I mean, yeah, man, you know, if you want to convert, that'd be great. You know? <laughs> like, like, but um, I, I think he's trying to say like, yeah, but I mean, I, I didn't obviously think that, you know, I was, I was just going to like, you know, boom on the spot, like, and there you were. Um, he's like, yeah, sure. I'd, I'd love to, you know, I'd, I'd love it if everybody just, you know, just right now, boom, converted. Right. Um, you know, but obviously he didn't expect that. And I think that's why he's using the humor um, because he's like, I, yeah, I'm sure I'd love it if everybody was exactly how I was, you know? So he's speaking a little hyperbolically, which is then why he backs off humorously with the, well, you know, except not being like in chains, like, you know, <laughs> trying to defend their life, uh, about to get shipped off to Rome. Right. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think, I think it shows that like Paul is realistic and he, and he gets this and understands. Um, but, it's a you know it's it's Festus and and uh, now even Agrippa as reasonable as Agrippa's been, um, who's just they just don't really get Paul and it's uh, of course easier to just kind of dismiss a caricature of someone than to just seriously deal with the complexities of their very different perspective. Hmm, yeah. So then the the text ra- wraps up. People get up, they leave. The discussion the the trial after the trial is that, you know, 
look, he's really innocent. And, and Agrippa even says, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we could set him free. It's it's striking to me that once again, we hear from the lips of the authorities that Paul is in fact innocent, just as, as has been spoken all, all along. They know he's innocent, but he will continue on to Rome to give testimony to the Lord there, just as the Lord has promised. We have about two minutes here left on the morning. Pastor Espinoza, help us to wrap things up on this text. A lot here in Paul's speech and the reactions to it. Uh, what do we need to take for it for our building up in the Christian faith? Uh, I, I think the takeaway from his reaction in the end is that it's very similar to Pilate's reaction to Jesus, that you had someone who is uh, you know, a secular authority in many ways who is saying, yeah, I don't really get what you're saying. You seem like kind of a, like a crazy eccentric, but I mean, clearly you're not dangerous. Yeah, clearly you're not, you know, uh, an insurrectionist. Um, you're, you are, you are innocent. You're not, you're not, you're not a criminal. Um, and I think that both Pilate thought that of Jesus, and also Agrippa basically thought that of Paul. But his hands are tied. So uh, I, I think that these things are set for us in such a way, um, and we get this in, in fact in the, the epistles of Peter. That as Christians, we, we live our lives and we conduct ourselves not in a way uh, that we're deliberately seeking to be, uh, you know, just, I don't know what, just just driving everybody crazy or, or um, getting accused of, of crimes. Um, I mean, we, we should really try and be striving to, to live in a way that uh, we can be at peace with people. Um, we're, we're not we're not going out of our way to kind of make the gospel like extra offensive because it's fun or we get to like throw zingers around on on social media. Um, so I think you have an example of how, um, you know, the gospel is kind of offensive enough already just because human nature just doesn't want to accept it. Um, but we can be realistic about that. Um, and as faithful as possible, not because we're naive, everyone's going to believe us, but simply because, as Paul said, he's not going to disobey the Lord. And so we're going to be faithful. We're going to say these things regardless of how we're going to be received. And, and just in faith that, you know, maybe I won't even live to see um, the good effects of, you know, this faithfulness that Jesus is working, um, but I'm not going to disobey him and God will take care of the rest. Pastor A.J. Espinoza serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California, helping us today with Acts chapter 26, verses 1 to 32. Pastor Espinoza, thanks for being our guest today. Uh, my pleasure as always, Pastor Apple. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts chapter 26, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.